Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would do what only you can do in our lives. Would you transform us from the inside out? As we stand in your presence today, Jesus, we're thankful for your grace and for your mercy. We pray right now that you would speak to us, that you would shift us, that you would change us, Lord. Right now, as we come around your word, we make room. We make room for your presence, for your spirit to speak to us this morning. Would we leave this place shining a reflection of you and your glory and your goodness and your grace to the world? Jesus, this morning, would you do a work in us? Would you do a work in us? Lord, we love you. We worship you. We give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Why don't you take a seat this morning? Thanks, band. Come on, can we give the band a hand this morning? Amazing. How you all going? Good? Well, my name is Mason. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, if you're new, welcome. Connection Coffee after the service. We'd love to uh, get to know you and all that. Right now, we're going to come around the Word of God, um, which is exciting. It's always exciting to come around the Word of God. We're in the middle of a series uh, at the moment called God Is, and we've been looking at, you know, attributes of God. Wayne shared at the start of the series, God is true. He looked at creation. He looked at history. He looked at uh, biology, psycho- psychology, uh, and of course, the authenticity of the Word of God, which all points to there being uh, being a God and the God of the Bible. God is true. Then Ruth last week talked about God is love. God's love, in a lot of ways, is indescribable. Uh, it's shown in His mercy and His grace towards humanity, and it is on full display when we look to Uh, Christ crucified. That's God's love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. That, uh, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, John 3. And that, you know, we come into this place where we have like lost within ourselves There's no direction. We are uh, lost from our purpose and our life, but Jesus redeems us because of his love. And this morning we look at uh, the next chapter in our series, which is God is holy. God is holy. And I would love to pray this morning because to be honest, I feel the weight of this message. God is holy. For the holiness of God is, yeah, we can't get this wrong. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your word that you've placed in my heart, Lord. Would you help me to articulate to the best of my ability your holiness and your goodness and your grace. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I just want to look at two verses this morning just to set what we're looking at. The first one is in Exodus. If we could throw that one up on the screen. Exodus 15, 
It says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And then in Samuel, the next one in Samuel 2.2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe that God is holy. He is. He is holy above all other things. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe that he is holy. In fact, the root Hebrew word that of holiness or holy is used 850 times to describe God just in the first half of the Bible. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe that he is holy. In fact, if God was not holy, there would be no need for the sacrifice of Jesus. God is holy. Thomas Watson, who was a famous English preacher in the, 17, in the 1600s, says that God's holiness is the shining jewel in his crown. It is the attribute by which he is known holy. When we think of holy in our context and word, we think of morally perfect or uh, pure when we think of holy, which is definitely a part of what holiness means. But when we are talking about the holiness of God, it means much more than that. When we describe God as holy, it speaks of his transcendentness above everything else, his set-apartness, the fact that he is utterly unique uh, above everything else, that there is no one above him, that there is nobody beside him, that he is infinite in power, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the Alpha and Omega and everything in between. When we call God holy, we're not just talking about that he's morally perfect or pure, which he is. He's the purest of pure but we're talking about his utter uniqueness, that he is the force behind all creation, that there is nothing beside him, nothing above him, that he is exalted above all else. Therefore, he is holy. It's not just that he's morally perfect or pure. He is holy. He is set apart. There is nothing like him. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian of our time, writes this quote in, the book, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, God's holiness is not simply the best we know. Do you know why I hate um, when we use analogies to describe God? Because in our human brain, they all fall completely short. And I think personally that it does God a disjustice because he is far greater than we could ever think, dream or imagine. That's why A.W. Tozer writes in the knowledge of the holy, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, it is infinitely better. He is better than anything you could think, dream or, or imagine. He is holy. We know nothing like the divine holiness of God. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. God is holy. He's holy. I have a brother. My brother is and has always kind of been since about the age of 16, six foot six and wide. When he's about six or seven years older than me, growing up when we would wrestle and fight as brothers do, I didn't realize that he was going easy on me. For a lot of my, you know, as a young boy, I thought me and my brother were like on the same level when we would fight. It wasn't until one day I 
realised and found out the hard way that this whole time he was going easy on me. He was lying to me. I, he thought, sometimes I thought I could actually get him down onto the ground, but he was just playing and going easy on me until one day, I think I was about 13, 14, and my brother came into the room and he wanted to watch this TV show, but I was watching something else, so he just took the remote off me. And I was like, and changed it over. And I was like, no, give it back. And as long as hard as I tried, I could not get the remote back off of him. And I was like, what is going on? And so I was so angry and upset as a 14-year-old. So I walk out the room. As I'm walking out the room, I see a boxing glove laying on the ground. And I thought to myself, self, this is a sign from God. So I picked the boxing glove up as a 14-year-old. My brother would have been almost 20 probably. And strapped the boxing glove around my hand and went up behind my brother and I swang with everything that I had. And it wasn't until the boxing glove connected with the back of his head that I realized that I had stuffed up. The punch didn't phase my brother physically really at all, but I think I knocked all the kindness and compassion out of him. Usain Bolt's been credited as one of the fastest people over a short distance of time, but I reckon I would have given him a run for his money as I ran from the uh, living room to the sliding door to get out the back because I figure if I've got space, then I, can, then I can run. As I opened the sliding door, I would have made it too if a stool from the kitchen didn't hit me in the back. <laughs> and then I was grabbed by my ankles and dragged back in the house, and let's just say I was disciplined by my brother for what I did. I realized that day, that day changed the way that I saw my brother because I realized like, hang on, I'm way weaker than him and he's just been going easy on me. It actually changed the way that I approached my brother moving forward. As I became, started becoming a teenager, he started not to go easy on me. And this was the combination of all those things. And I realized, well, hold on, my brother is a lot stronger than me. So it actually changed the way that I approached my brother You see, the holiness of God should do the same thing with you and me. The holiness of God should change the way that we approach God. But secondly, it actually shows us how good God actually is. It should change us. So my prayer this morning is as we look at the holiness of God, that it would change you. It would change the way you approach God and it would change the way that you see God. I want to look at a passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. It is a bizarre passage of Scripture. But I think it, uh, you know, overall shows the complexities and the depths of God's holiness. And this morning, I just want to simply go through this passage of Scripture and look at uh, what it all means in its entirety that God is holy. And it is a bizarre passage of Scripture, but Isaiah is a prophet, lived in the 8th century BC. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. Um, You know, a virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. That was the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus was born. And so Isaiah, when it was in a stage in Israel where where a king had died, and Isaiah steps in and is allowed in to the throne room of heaven for just a moment. The veil is, is torn away from the, from the heaven to earth for Isaiah and he steps in to the throne room of God and he simply writes in Isaiah chapter 6 his experience in the throne room of God. So let's read it this morning. It says this, firstly, 
Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The first thing that I want to point out to you is this, that God is high and exalted. Not only on earth, but in the heavenlies as well. When Isaiah steps into the throne room of God, what is the first thing that he notices? Nobody tells him, nobody thinks. Just looking at God, he realizes that God is high and exalted above all else. There is none above him, none beside him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is evidently clear as soon as Isaiah takes a glimpse with all of Isaiah knows. And he, a king has just died. Right, So he knows what kingship is. And this king, they liked this king. And he was actually, in terms of Israel's kings, this king was actually a fairly good king. And this king has died and everyone is mourning. But as soon as he steps in to the throne room of God, he realizes that God is high and exalted above all else, that even his clothes, even his robe fills the temple with his glory. So even God, what comes out of God and what is around God is high and exalted, fills the empty spaces. That is that God is holy, exalted above all else, utterly unique. God is exalted. His clothes even fill the temple with his glory. And then it talks about the seraphim. When God creates, he creates on purpose. And it says they have six wings and two of their wings cover their eyes and two of their wings cover their feet. And, and for, for you know, the, the sake of time today, we don't have time to go into all of the uh, uniqueness of what that represents. But I will say this, that Moses, when confronted with the burning bush, had to cover his face and take off his shoes in the presence of the, God, of, of the fact that God was so holy and powerful and mighty and utterly unique. He covered his face. When Moses is put in the cleft of the rock to see the backside of God for just a moment, when he comes down from the mountain, everybody says, Moses, cover your face because the glory of God, a reflection on Moses' face of the behind of the glory of God was too much for people to bear. And so you have to understand, this shows a picture of how big God is, how holy He is, how powerful He is, that even a reflection of His back to people hours later is too much for people to... And so these creatures in the throne room of heaven all day cover their face for the glory and the holiness of God. Then they say this all day, every day, holy, holy Holy is the Lord God of God Almighty. In Hebrew literature, repetition is important. We use the same thing. We use an exclamation mark if we want to really make a point, or maybe we put it in all caps. In that day, they would repeat the word. That's why, you know, you see even Jesus using this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you. He's begging people. It's like, this is important. Listen to what I'm about to say. Truly, truly uh, talks of, translates closer to amen and amen. Let it be so. Because when Jesus speaks, whatever he's going to speak is already let it be so. Amen. We agree with it. Truly, truly. Do you know there is only one attribute of God that is lifted in the Bible anywhere to the third degree. And it is not God is love, love, love. Although he is love. 
And it is not God is mercy, 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 although he does have mercy. It's not that he's compassion, 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 although he does have compassion. It's not that he is peace, 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 even though that he is the prince of peace. The only attribute of God that is lifted to the third degree of importance is God is holy, holy, holy. So above all else, when you approach God and our understanding of who God is, At the very base of that understanding needs to be this, that God is holy, holy, holy. You want to know how to have a good theology? At the base of your theology, you need to understand that above all else, the attribute by which God is known is holy, holy, holy. Utterly unique, all-powerful, stands apart from all creation. He is holy, holy, holy. It changes, doesn't it? The way we come to God. He is holy, holy, holy. The next part of the scripture, we see Isaiah's response to all that he sees, to the holiness of God. In verse 4, it says, At the sound of their voices, saying, Holy, 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 the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with Smoke. Even heaven has a haze machine. (laughs) Woe to me. This is Isaiah's response when he sees the holiness of God. Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined. When Isaiah comes face to face with the holiness of God, his response is, I'm done. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The word there, Lord Almighty, in in the Hebrew is the highest name they gave to God. It's the name Adonai. It's above all else. It's like a name that surpasses every other name of God. The Lord God Almighty, for I have seen it. What's Isaiah's response? Isaiah's response is fear. The fear of God. We don't like to talk about the fear of God in our contemporary Western Christianity. Sometimes because I think the fear of God has been mistaught and maybe misused to manipulate people. Sometimes I think it's, you know, because we have different understandings of what fear is and so it doesn't really compute with the God of love that we preach all the time and it's like, well, how do we love something that we're scared of? And Or maybe you're like me and I'm what the ancient Greeks would call a wimp. I just don't like things that are scary. I don't. One time my daughter screamed at night time and one of the very rare times I got up to her because um, my wife does a lot of that. Praise God for a good wife. But uh, I got up to her and she was, and I was like, what's the matter? And she just pointed to the cupboard. And I was like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> like, handball her back in her room. I'm running. I was starting like scary things. And so when it comes to the fear of God, sometimes it's misunderstood because of what we understand about fear. But the Bible says in multiple places that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
What does that mean? The understanding of his holiness and his, all, his utter uniqueness, all powerful, the force behind the whole universe, like that understanding, that respect, that honor, that reverence we have for God is the beginning of all wisdom. That's why I said, if you have a base at your theology that God is holy, holy, holy above all else, because that is the beginning of all wisdom to understand that God is holy. But what about God is love? Can we talk about tensions for a moment? We hold tensions all the time as adults. And we hold this tension in God, that he is this all-powerful creator that could end us in a moment if he wanted. And the fact that he loves us so much that he was crushed on our behalf is a tension we hold in God. We, he doesn't hold that tension within himself. For what he is, he is fully. But we hold that tension. Because if you don't hold that tension, you're in trouble. Because there is a narrow road to glory. It's a narrow road. Narrow roads have ditches on either side. If you only understand God as God is love, the temptation is to fall into the ditch of lawlessness. I can do whatever I want. God will still love me. If you only hold the fear of God and no love, then you fall into the ditch of legalism. And under the law, I must be right and do this and this and this and this. But the tension we hold in God of fear and love keeps us on the narrow path to glory. So the fear of God is important for you and I who profess to be Christians to hold. But the fear of God comes alive and is really shown when you couple who God is and the fear and respect and reverence that we should have with him, to, towards him with his character of who he is. That's when the fear of God becomes powerful. Because when this unclean, impure, and the reason he says it's unclean and impure, because in those days, the presence of God was actually dangerous to the unpure and those who were even ritually unclean. And not because the presence of God was bad, but because it was so good. It's the reason we're separated from God. Because when we rebelled him, God's holiness is so good. It, it, it was now dangerous for us to be in it. So God sends us. It's actually dangerous in the Holy of Holies if they weren't ritually clean, morally pure, it would actually kill them. There's records of people walking into the Holy of Holies and dying for the presence of God was dangerous because he's so good. So you have to understand that he's saying, I'm done, I'm ruined, I'm dead because I'm not morally pure, right? Which we can all understand what that might look like. But even in that day, they had a thing where you had to be ritually pure. So you couldn't touch sickness or death or bodily fluids or all this kind of stuff. You had to consecrate yourself before you walked into the presence of God. Isaiah has done none of that. He's just walked in and gone, I'm dead. But when we couple that with God's character, watch what happens next in this scripture. In verse 6, then one of the seraphim, so he's like, I'm dead. This is the Lord Almighty. I'm done. He's ready to accept defeat and just die. But then it says, one of the seraphim flew with me, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. Sound familiar? The coal at the altar of God is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do for all of us. That now because of Jesus and what Jesus was about to do, when we step into his presence, it no longer destroys us, but it transforms us. Because Jesus satisfied the holy wrath of God, because he was crushed for you and I, now when we step into the presence of God, you and I are not destroyed, but we are actually transformed to become set apart and holy people, a royal priesthood to minister to the world around us. Now the Spirit of God does not destroy you, but transforms you. The holiness of God transforms you. Doesn't destroy you anymore. So now as Hebrews says, we can walk into his throne room with boldness and confidence. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. The coal of heaven touched your lips. The coal of heaven has touched your life and your sins are atoned for. We see this in Jesus' life. When Jesus came to earth, who did he touch? The ritually unclean. In their law, in God's law, you touch sickness, you are now unclean. But what Jesus has come to do is that when Jesus now touches his sickness, instead of him becoming unclean and impure because of his holiness and goodness, he actually transformed the sickness And so he ran around touching everyone, declaring that his holiness now has not come to destroy you, but his holiness has come to transform you. The band can come back up because I'm almost done. So what's left? Now that we know the goodness of God, he is holy, mighty, utterly unique. That now when we come into his presence, we're not destroyed by his presence, but transformed into holy. For the Bible says that you are holy for I am holy. So now when we step into the presence of God every day, every week, every time at church, what's happening is you are not being destroyed like the old days. Because Jesus was crushed for you, you can walk in and he is transforming you. He is renewing you. He is making you more like himself. So what's left? What's left? Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. You might be here saying, oh, well, I'm not good enough. I don't have it all together. I'm not holy enough. I haven't done this church thing right. I come into church and I feel down on myself because I feel all all this kind of stuff and I don't live, I'm not living the right way out there, but I come to church because I I understand the holiness of God and I want to submit myself to Him and all that kind of stuff. But in and of yourself, you're like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as that person on stage. I'm not as good as this person sitting next to me. And you see all these things around and you kind of just, let let me tell you something. Every time you step into the presence of God, His presence, His holiness transforms you to be all God is calling you to be. He's called you. He's calling you. And He's given you everything you need. And now what? Whom shall I send? Who will go for for us? 
here I am, Lord. Send me, for I am a holy, royal priesthood. God is so good. And because of what Jesus has done, the fear of God that we hold now no longer is to be scared of God, but to be scared of what our life looks like without Him. That's the fear of God. To go, Jesus, I need you. I understand who you are and I need you. God is so good. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote Narnia. Anybody seen Narnia before? Read the books? If you haven't, C.S. Lewis writes this alternative reality to show the power of God and Jesus and what Jesus has done. Jesus is represented by this character called Aslan. Aslan is an utterly unique, all-powerful, set-apart lion where the enemy literally shudder in his presence because of what he can do and because of what he's done. When Aslan enters the battle, it's no longer sides. Who's going to win is whoever the side that Aslan is on. He is capable of destroying the whole of enemy's armies in, in, in like 10 seconds. He's this all-powerful lion that even some of the, the allies, when he walks past, are a bit like, Ugh. He's this all-powerful. Aslan exudes this holiness around him and everything around him is holy. And there's this utter respect and reverence for who he is. This all-powerful lion who's able to destroy him at any moment in any second. But when you couple that with Aslan's character, that he is good, he lets a little girl ride on his back because he is so good. That is a picture of God. That He is this all-powerful, set-apart, holy being. But He is so good that to His sons and daughters, He lets ride on His back. And is that not the perfect picture of a father? I grew up without a father. And I met the perfect father, Jesus. Is that not the perfect representation of a father, someone who is fierce in their protection, a provider, a coverer, an overseer, someone who to his kids has all power, who is fierce in his defense of his children, who is sacrificial in his love. But to his sons and daughters, he's as gentle as a lamb. You wonder why? God is called the perfect father. That is why. For he has everything that you need. He is your provider. He is your coverer. In him you can take refuge. In fact, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burdened? For my holiness has enough to sustain you. But so good coupled with his character that he was the lamb that was slain for you and I the perfect father. There's nothing else I can say about the holiness of God except I hope that I did somehow God justice in who he is. So what should our response be? 
to the holiness of God, to this Father who's utterly unique, all-powerful, as gentle as a lamb, has made a way because of love for us to come to Him. I'll tell you what our response should be. As Hebrews says, our response should be to walk in His throne room boldly as sons and daughters. And to leave being transformed and saying, God, if you are who you say you are, send me into all you have for me. For I trust you, God. And if God is for you, then who can stand against you? If this, if he is who he says he is, what can mere mortals do to you? He's on your side. You're his children and he fights for you. So what should our response be right now? Let's come into the presence of God. And let's just say for a moment, God, send me. You know, you're struggling with, oh, I'm not good enough. It's all this impurities. There's all this stuff going on in, in my life. You know what? Just spend a moment in his presence. For the grace of God no longer destroys you, but transforms you. We stand on our feet for a moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, The visible image of the invisible God is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity before we sing again to respond to Him calling in your heart today. If everyone could close their eyes just for a moment. This is just the moment between you and God. But if you have walked away from God and you know you have in your heart of hearts, you want to come back to the perfect Father, then in a moment, I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand just so I can see who we're praying for. Then slip it down, then we're going to pray. And if you don't know Jesus, maybe it's your first time at church, maybe you came with a friend. Can I tell you, He is the perfect Father. You don't have to be scared of Him. His presence transforms us into all we're called to be. You ever felt like something was missing in life? It's Jesus. He's made a way for you to connect with your purpose again. So if you're one of those two, maybe you've walked away from God, you just want to recommit your life or maybe you want to commit your life for the first time. On the count of three, I'm just going to get you to lift your hand just so I can see who I'm praying for. You ready? One, two, three. Why don't you just lift your hand? Yeah, I see those hands. Thank you. Amazing. If there's anyone else, don't miss your opportunity just to surrender your heart back to Him as we pray this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for all those who have surrendered their hearts back to you this morning. I thank you that you are the perfect Father, that you are good, that you are kind, that you are all-powerful, mighty, and set apart. And we honour who you are this morning, God. Holy, holy, holy. Would you do what only you can do to transform hearts and minds right now? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, just for a moment, we're going to sing this song, The Dove, again. Why? Because it says, Holy, 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 Holy Spirit. What is Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the utterly set-apart, unique, all-powerful Spirit of God. It's the one who we stand in His presence. And our prayer is that as we exalt God and His Holy Spirit in His rightful place this morning, that He would transform us from the inside out as we lift and worship and lay burdens at His feet this morning, as we sing, Holy, 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 Holy Spirit come. As we sing those things, 
We're saying, God, would you come? Would you transform me as I walk out there? And would you send me, God? Why should we worship God in this moment? Because He is worthy. High and lifted up. For His Spirit that dwells with us right now in this place is holy, utterly unique, all-powerful and set apart. Come on, He's worthy of our worship. Will we lift our hands as we pray and then we'll begin to sing. Lord, I just thank You so much that You are holy, that You are set apart. Lord, we honour you for who you are. And Jesus, we spend a moment at the beginning of our weeks just to worship you and all you have and all you are. To ask that your Holy Spirit would transform us from the inside out, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that we would not be distracted by flesh around us, Jesus, but our eyes would be focused on you. For you are worthy, high and exalted. For we are privileged to stand in your Holy Spirit today, to stand in your presence today. And we thank you for your grace and for your mercy and your love that now your Holy Spirit we can experience in fullness because of what you did on the cross, Jesus. So thankful for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, church. Why don't we sing? Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.